Hello and joining you on January the 16th, just hours after the 2024 World Tour season rolled out of South Australia and more specifically Tanunda, purportedly home to the world's oldest Shiraz vines and where Sam Wellsford harvested his first victory for Bora Hansgrower in stage one of the Tour Down Under. My name is Daniel Freeber and I'm the host of this episode of The Cycling Podcast in which we'll meet another Aussie sprinter who finished fourth today and will be very much in the spotlight over the coming week. In his first quarter of a century, the Tour Down Under has become synonymous with the dawning of a new season, the world of cycling rebooting en masse after its winter hibernation. But for Caleb Ewan, this year's race represents a fresh start in more ways than one. Ewan is of course one of the foremost sprinters of his generation, as his 11 Grand Tour stage wins and 60 professional wins in total attest. Last year's though was a cruel summer, an estas horribilis for the Australian. After an encouraging start, his Tour de France turned into a nightmare, one that ended with him abandoning the race, winless and joyless on stage 13 to the Grand Colombier. What had gone wrong? Well, in his Lotto Destiny team manager Stéphane Urlau's eyes, the problem was Ewan, and more precisely his attitude. The morning after Ewan's tour exit, Urlau doubled down on claims the previous day that Ewan had not only performed poorly, but shown his teammates a lack of respect. That day, I put it to Urlau that rather than Paris, they seemed to be heading to Splitsville. Ça sent un peu le divorce entre vous et Caleb. C'est pas une question de parler de divorce ou de rupture. Il a un contrat pour 2024. La question de savoir, c'est s'il veut encore faire du vélo. He needs to decide whether he still wants to ride a bike. Urlau said to me. Perhaps ironically, Urlau's own career as a rider had been defined, at least in the popular imagination, by him quitting the tour. The year was 1996, and Urlau was wearing the yellow jersey, also battling knee pain that he later partly attributed to the stress of leading the race. His tears and pained expression as he climbed off his bike and into his team car on the summit of the Corme de Roselon provided one of the most enduring snapshots from maybe the most dramatic tour stage of the 1990s, with crashes galore. Implosions. C'est dire que Laurent Jalabert est en train de perdre définitivement, semble-t-il, le Tour de France. Comment a seismic moment in time. Miguel Indurain cracking for the first time and irrevocable. The postscript of Ewan's aborted 2023 race contained an apology from Erlau, or at least him saying that he partly regretted some of what he had said. Ewan, meanwhile, kept his own counsel, which fueled speculation in the media and online that he could even retire. Happily, in October, it was confirmed that his time with Lotto Destiny had ended after five years, while his association with another team was about to resume. That's right, he was going home, back to Jaco Alula, the team which had midwifed him into the World Tour and where he had spent his formative years as a pro. The same week, at the Veneto Classic in Italy, Jaco's head DS Matt White shared his delight at the signing and also assured us that Ewan's cohabitation with the Dutch sprinter Dylan Kronewegen would help not hinder the team. We've been really clear with the guys uh, of of their goals. They will not be competing against each other for spots on Grand Tours or, or races in general. They, they know nearly already their race calendar 
and uh, they'll be focusing on, on those goals. And look, the two get along well, and uh, it's only a bonus for uh, to have someone winning here, someone winning there. And, uh, and at the end of the day, sprinters are the people who give you the most wins. And uh, they're both and two different stories. You know, Dylan has fitted into the team really well. And uh, I went up and saw him uh, a while ago, and we spoke about Caleb's proposed arrival and how that would affect him or not affect him. And uh, he was really cool with it. And then with Caleb, you know, it's been a pretty frustrating year or two with him. But you know, at the end of the day, he's still young. Uh, he came close to beating Philipson this year at the Tour de France. He he's got a point to prove and that's uh that he is certainly not done as a world-class sprinter i'm sure he's going to come out with a bang in australia in january which is not too far away as white said it would january has come around quickly and ewan has started in the same vein winning his first race in jaco alula colors the australian national crit championships the aims pressures and demands will only get bigger from here of course beginning this week at the tour down under Ewan was struck down by illness shortly after our interview last week, which may explain why he didn't look quite himself on the finishing straight of Tuesday's first stage. More broadly though, last week he declared himself ready for the challenge of the coming season. As the hours counted down to what would surely feel like a return to source, a circle being completed and a career rebirth at the Tour Down Under. The Cycling Podcast is supported by Science in Sport. Science in Sport. Fueled by science. The start awaits. The eyes of the world are on our state. Anticipation. So, Caleb. Well, we are talking a few days before the Tour Down Under. The question is, are you ready? Well, the wheels are in motion. Are you ready to feel the rush? Um, Mitch Docker told me about this song. I've never been to the Tour Down Under. And Mitch Docker told me about the the Tour Down Under anthem last year. And it made me me want to get on a Qantas plane and go straight to the Tour Down Under because he... um, he really hyped up this official anthem. Um, but are, are you ready? Do you feel ready? Um, yeah, I, you know, I think I do feel ready. Uh, my training's gone really well. Um, I'm really happy with my my preseason. Uh, there was no real interruptions, no sicknesses or anything. So it all went pretty smoothly. And I've been in Australia now for oh, more than a month, maybe six weeks. Um, so I've really had time to acclimatize the weather and you know get used to time zone and whatnot. But, um, yeah, you know, until you start racing, you never really know how you're going to go. Um, you always have your, you know, numbers to, to compare with, like, previous numbers, you know, similar time last year, how do you compare and, and all that kind of stuff. But um, every time you start the season, you never know how high the level's gone. Um, every year it gets harder and harder, but some years it jumps a lot more than others. Um, so... Even if you do improve, you don't know how much everyone else has improved. So for now, everything seems to be going the right direction. Nationals, um, you know, was really good. Won the crit. Road race, um, I felt really good. Just some bad luck with punctures, bad time, then crashed. But um, the feeling was really good. Uh, You know, vibe in the team was really good as well. I think it was the most successful nationals we've had um, as Green Edge. 
So, you know, going into Tudan Under, you know, everyone's positive, everyone's going well. So um, it's nice to start the season with that, that kind of good vibe. And the official song, are you a fan? Yeah, well, I mean, I don't listen to it like when I'm out riding or anything like that, but you definitely, when you do hear it, it's just like, it's like the link between the song and Down Under. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, if you, if you, have, if you, you but... haven't been before, you should you should come. It's, uh, it's probably yeah. one of the best races to come watch. One hotel, super easy, no traveling around. Those, those official anthems, though, they do get in your head. I mean, I, I don't know about you. I don't know if you've ever noticed the official Welter song, which obviously changes every year. Um, and they have like a contest to elect the official song, I think. Or um, it's the, the national broadcaster who decides. And the first week, you always think this is an absolute rotter. And then by the end of week three, it's just you just can't get enough of the official song. It should really work the yeah. other way. You should get sick of it. But... Um, yeah. Caleb, you talked about the the new team, um, and well, and also you know going into a new season. I don't expect you to say anything other than the the bike is great and the equipment's great because that's what new riders always say at their new team. But you've also got to adjust to that, um, and and talk a bit about that adjustment. How big of an adjustment is it, um, particularly the bike and the equipment, and um, how's that gone? Uh, yeah, all super smooth um changing bikes is is reasonably easy um a lot of bike companies usually bring out a bike every few years and then you change anyway but um i was pretty much on the same ridley actually for the last five years so the five years basically that i was in the in motto so um it probably was time um for them to update it uh, I don't know if they have any plans to do it. I think the only change that we had really in those five years was um, we went for, from rim brake to disc brake. So, mm. um, yeah, you know, technology, everything changes in five years and um, it was probably coming towards the end of the, the run of the, the NOAA. So mm. it is good to be on a, maybe, a, you know, a newer bike. Um, I know for sure it's much lighter, so... Um, that's also, that's a, it's a big positive for me. Um, it's super aero stiff and, um, like you said, I think most, most riders and they change teams, but yeah, honestly, it's, it's, it feels really good. So, um, I'm really happy with the equipment changes that we've had. Um, and then, yeah, the, the rest is gone. Sorry. So do you, do you also, do you say it's quite easy to change because you personally are not that fussy? Um, and are not that difficult on in that respect. I'm. I think I'm. I think I'm not that fussy with changing maybe position kind of thing. Um, like a lot of guys, like if it's a millimeter out, they can really feel it. Um, I don't think I'm kind. I'm not really like that. Um, I'm probably more fussy. Probably the thing I'm most fussy about is the weight of the bike. I want it to be as light as possible. I don't want to be riding around with a bike that's a kilo heavier than what it has to be. Um, so as far as that kind of stuff goes, I'm fussy. But as far as positioning and everything goes, um, I feel like I can adjust quite quickly. 
All right. Um, well, we'll talk a bit later about teammates and trains and things like that. But um, you obviously are back at the team where you started your pro career. And um, I guess some people might have forgotten how, or well, first of all, when it kind of ended the first time with um, what was then, I think, Orica Greenedge. Yeah. And I suppose how, how as well, and I'd completely forgotten that in 2018, um, you'd been effectively picked for the tour team um, around about this time of year. Um, so sorry, so 2000, this was the sort of Christmas of 2017. And I think there was a press release, if I, if I remember rightly, in which they sort of announced that you would be riding the tour team. And then, of course, it didn't happen. Um, the team sort of changed their mind just before the tour 2018 and kind of went um, all in on GC. And um, there was your agent, who I think is still your agent, um, he tweeted at the time, I've seen the highs and lows of the sport for 30 years. Tonight's a huge low. So sad for Caleb. Um, I wonder how this decision will look in five years' time. Well, it's just over five years now. And you're back at that team. So... Five years away from the team, um, I'm guessing you'll say that it was probably a good decision in the end for 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 you, and there are no regrets. But how do you how do you reflect now on that 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 moment in 2018 and the five years since? Um, yeah, I mean, at the at that point in my career, that was a huge low, probably the one of the the lowest points in my career because as a young rider, you know, my dream was to ride the Tour de France. And um, for the first six months of that year, I thought I was going. And then kind of last minute, you know, I didn't go. Um, so, yeah, it was, a, it was a huge disappointing point for me. But um, it's kind of one of those things in, in professional sport and something probably that I can reflect on more now as I've been pro much longer or I guess double the time that I had been from then is that, you know, it's just some things are out of your control and um, you kind of have to manage that and kind of just keep moving forward. And um, there's plenty of disappointing times in your career uh, that you need to just kind of step over, keep focusing for your next goal and, and then, yeah, there's points in your career that are, are super high, but um, but whether it's bad or good, you just kind of have to yeah, keep going, keep focusing for the next next goal anyway. So um, back to your question about that time. Yeah, it was just, that's, I mean, that's all I can really say about it. It was, it was, a, it was a big blow for me back then um, mm-hmm. in, you know, in defense to them. Now looking back, I wasn't having my best year. Um, so in the end, I gave them the excuse to not take me. Um, mm. You know, if I was having a great year and they didn't take me, I'd probably be more frustrated. But um, now looking back, reflecting on it, yeah, I wasn't having the best year. But, um, you know, at the time, you, you're not, you know, you're not really thinking like that. And, yeah, I was just disappointed. I was still a young rider back then. I think I was only 23, so um, I'd already won stages in the in the Giro and the Welter. So, you know, I thought I was ready. Um, but, yeah, all those kind of things kind of make you stronger in the end and make you more resilient. So it's all part of the journey. And, Caleb, I think it was written at the time that you might already have been 
talking to or there might already have been interest from Lotto and was it called Lotto Sudow already at that time um, but was that actually the reason you left um, that non-selection for the Tour de France or w- was was that something that was already kind of in the pipeline that you would you might leave anyway um it was yeah i mean it was contract year and i did have to it was the point in my career where i really had to make a decision um what is going to be beneficial because i was i guess i was coming into my um i guess my better years the the years that i was really going to get i think some good results and it was just it was just a point in time where um, Green Edge were going more towards GC. Like they were really becoming more of a GC focused team. Mm. I knew there was the spot coming available in um, Lotto where their biggest focus is sprints and classics. So it just made more sense for me to go to a team that's focused basically completely on sprints than staying in a GC team. Um, you know, it had, yeah, I mean, it had nothing to do with the the team itself. It was just kind of like the direction they were going wasn't really the direction that I was going. Um, mm. So that's kind of why the the future for me and the team just, it just didn't make any sense. It, it doesn't sound as though, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, there was any big sort of obstacle to you going back um, to Jayco, what it is now, in the sense that I don't get the sense that you bore any great malice towards. I, I guess Matt, you know, Matt White is is I suppose the most influential figure in terms of picking teams, and he I think he was then. But I don't suppose when the opportunity came up to go back to Jayco this year, you had to kind of clear the air with him about 2018. It doesn't. A lot of water had gone under the bridge. It sounds like. Yeah, I mean, for sure, five years is a long time. Um, yeah. You know, I think we were probably annoyed with each other for a while, um, which is normal. Uh, but, you know, pretty quickly, you know, we're both Australian. We're both, you know, on the world tour racing around. We see each other all the time. It's not like, it's not one of those things where, you know, you get really annoyed with each other and you never speak again. So, why, why would he have been annoyed with you for leaving? Maybe. Because, you know, in in fairness to, to Green Edge, I was in, like, their development team. I turned pro with them. I spent four years with them. Um, they did a lot to develop me. And they wanted to keep me. And if we were going to go down a, a more of a, like, a sprinter classics kind of team route, then, I mean, I would have stayed. It was... I loved being in the team, but I just knew for my career at that point with the way the team was going and the opportunity that I had to go to Lotto where I could have gone there as the leader, um, it just made more sense. So I think they they were probably um, a bit annoyed at me for leaving. But I think if you speak to him now as well, I think he would also say he understands why. And I think everyone in in Green Edge would say they understood why, and um, that's why I think the possibility of me coming back was, you know, was there because if they really hated me for that, then I think there was never going to be a possibility that I, I could come back to the team. But 
um you know i think it like hurt for everyone at the time but as time went on i think you know everyone understood um Mm. so yeah i mean i mean it was also a time 2018 so in 2018, Simon Yates almost won the Giro, was a day from winning the Giro. He would win the Vuelta. They still had Chavez, who looked like a genuine, you know, GC contender, Adam as well. So I suppose, um, and it was pre-Bernal, pre-Pogacar, pre-Roglic really. So it was understandable that a team would go all in on GC because they, they looked as though they might be able to win five Grand Tours or 10 Grand Tours with those guys, I suppose. Yeah, for sure. Um and, you know, like, I wasn't disappointed in them at all for, for going down that, that route. Like, they they got guys young, like the Yates and, and even Chavez after his bad accident. And they developed those guys into, you know, really, really good GC contenders. So, all of a sudden, they had these guys that could potentially win, you know, the Tour de France. They, you know, they, like you said, almost won their Giro. They've won the Welter. Um and if you have guys that you think can win the Tour de France, then it's normal that you, you want to go all in for that because that's the biggest thing you can do in cycling. So let's let's move forward to 2023 and you rejoining Jaco. Um, where should we start with this? Should we start at the, the beginning of the year? Um, it wasn't it wasn't the best start of the year for you and the first few months of 2023 weren't the best um, from your point of view um is there anything that maybe people didn't see that was going on at the start of 2023 or maybe people didn't appreciate um or reasons why um it it wasn't your best start to the season what what would you say now reflecting on the first sort of six months of last year Mm. Well, I was coming off the back of a pretty average season. Um, 22 was also not my not my greatest season. Um, so I already had like a lot of pressure to, to kind of get back to the level that I wanted to be at. Um, and I knew I had to have a really good start. And I started in Australia. I felt quite good. I was racing for the national team there. I wasn't the Lotto didn't send out a team in the end uh, for Down Under and Cadell's race. Um, and I didn't have, I probably didn't have the start that I wanted. My form was good, but I was just kind of like there, like a few podiums, a few times when the kick and the, the break stayed away, all that kind of stuff that were, you know, just kind of bad luck um, kind of stuff. And I feel like I got myself into good enough shape to win, but I just, for whatever reason, came close a lot of times, but never really had enough to to win. Like, you know, there was the time in, in UAE where it was like almost impossible to tell who won with Melia. Um, mm. Then I raced in Belgium after that. Again, the same thing. Um, I still think I won the race because there was photos of me wheel across the line first but anyway again another one that was super close could have gone anyway um and then you know like as you go on through the season you know another race no win another race no win Mm. the pressure starts mounting from myself because i know like shit i need to win um and then from the team as well they're like hey why aren't you performing 
Um, and do you, is that just a, a pressure? You say pressure from the team. Why aren't you winning? Is that something that's explicitly communicated to you, or something you just feel? Um, like I know there was like comments in the team, like, "Hey, he doesn't win for how much he gets paid," and things like that. And like that's just like annoying. Like obviously, I'm trying to win. Like I want to mm. win more than they want me to win because at the end of the day, it's my career. And at the end of the day, when my contract's up, they can just kick me out. And, you know, if I go shit, then I have nothing. So, and there's always going to be another sprinter that they can hire. So I want to win more than they want me to win. And I feel like in the start, they, they always realize that. And in the start, when I went to Lotto, I had so much freedom and I had so much trust from the team. And that's really what, what I needed. Um, and kind of as I went on, I feel like the, the trust kind of went away year after year, especially when I like started maybe not performing as good as I had in the start. You know, people would be like, oh, you know, if you did this, he'll be better. If you did that, he'll be better. Mm. And a lot of the time, like, I, I'm good at, like, blocking it out because I, I feel like I know what's good for me. Um, mm. But then after a while, you start believing, like, shit, maybe if I do do that, I'll be better. Or maybe if I do do that, I'll be better. Mm. And I feel like that was my downfall was that I was not believe Like, I wasn't listening to what I needed from myself, but listening to other people. Um, mm. And then it's just kind of like a vicious cycle. And then in the end, I just had a, a shit year. Um, and I think, you know, in the end, in a simple, to say it simply, I think the team and I just fell out of love with each other. Like, mm. it just wasn't what it was before. Um, mm. the, the team that I came to, the people in charge weren't there anymore. Um, you know, John Long was the the general manager um, at the start when I was there. Um, we had Marc Sargent, Herman Frison. And they were all guys that had like complete faith in me. They were just like, you know, whatever, whatever you need to do to get ready, whatever races you need to do, we're going to support that 100%. Um, and then, yeah, Stefan came in at the, at the start of... Um, at the start of last year and then yeah the way he managed the team was completely different and i just don't think we we just didn't really his way of managing a team and the way i work as a rider and and maybe a leader of the team um we just never really saw eye to eye i think um so yeah did, did you know did you know anything about stefan caleb did you you, you knew maybe um a few sort of things about his career when he was Appointed, no. yeah, but I, I guess you didn't know him personally. No, ne never heard of him in my life, to be honest. First time I ever heard of him, first time I ever heard of him was actually when the team announced that he was coming on board. Um, and yeah, I had I know a French journalist really well, um, a guy that I, I stayed with when I was, um, when I was a, a junior in France, and he kind of showed me around like yeah 
it was, it was like the first kind of road season I'd done in, in France. So I've been, well, you know, Jeff. Yep. Um, Jeff Kenney. Yeah. So I know him very well and uh, he knows Stefan very well. And um, yeah, he, uh, he warned me about him, but you know, I, he's going to be my general manager. So I had to have a, um, I had to have my, I had to make my own opinion. I didn't want to have someone else's opinion of him. Um, but yeah, I think, yeah, we just Stefan and I just never, never saw eye to eye, and and that's that's that. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, I suppose from a sprinting point of view as well the team had a bit of a sort of shiny new toy in Arno Dali, I suppose. I don't know, maybe mention that or we'll come on to that in a minute. Um, I don't know how much that was an influence, but um, so the, the Tour de France was obviously the sort of a bit of a flashpoint. Um, you'd been sent to the Tour of Belgium before the race. Um, I think you wanted to do the Dauphiné or the Tour of Switzerland, or you would have preferred to do those. And you got sent to the Tour of Belgium. Um, sponsors reasons, possibly, um, because you were still the, the biggest name on the team and and presumably that's why they wanted to have you there? Or are you any any the wiser as to why that was now? Um, well, so basically like, you know, Tour de France is the hardest race of the year. The level's mm-hmm. the highest of any level race. Um, in the past, I've always had, you know, half the Giro to get ready Um or, you know, Torino in the legs or, you know, just like a, a normal hard world to a race. Um, whereas last year, my preparation was Tour of Hungary, a few 1.1s in Belgium, Tour of Belgium, and then the Tour de France. So I was doing these races and I was just kind of like, guys, you know, what? I'm just, I need, um, I need something a bit harder. Like I need to race like Tour de France level racing because this is just not, it's not the same. Um, and I was still doing Tour of Belgium, whatever. I just wanted to add in Dolphin A. And, um, and they were just like, no, not happening. And that's kind of the difference between when I first came to the team and now was that the team were much more accommodating um, to make changes like that. So, yeah, like I wanted to, I didn't want to go to Dolphin A to go on a holiday. I knew it was going to be hell, like spending a week in the Alps. Um, but I knew that's probably what I needed. And yeah, they just didn't want to, yeah, they didn't want to do it. And um, yeah, I think that's when I kind of like started struggling towards the the middle to back end of the tour because I didn't have like that, that kind of hard racing in the legs. Chute, chute à l'arrière du peloton, cycling podcast, team car, the back of the pack, please. That's Seb Piquet, the voice of Radio Tour, to remind me to tell you that this episode is sponsored by Babbel. It's January, and perhaps you're lucky enough to have already booked a holiday abroad, or perhaps you're planning to go to one of the big races, and you would like to be able to communicate in another language while you're there. Or maybe you've resolved to make this a year that you make real progress with your language learning. In either case, Babbel is exactly what you need to learn the language of your choice at your pace when you have the time. Babbel teaches you the language you need for real-life conversations, building on your understanding step-by-step in a logical way. 
and so that you don't risk a visit from the pronunciation police, Babbel's speech recognition helps you to improve your pronunciation and develop your confidence by speaking out loud. The lessons have been devised by real language experts, not a computer, so you'll learn the things that you need to engage in real-life dialogue right from the start. It's a bit like having your own personal language coach to call on when it's convenient to you, and you can start to pick up a new language with as little as 10 minutes a day, although you'll probably find once you get going that it's quite addictive. You can choose from 14 different languages, including Italian, French and Spanish. So if you're off to one of the grand tours this season, why not get ready with Babbel? Or you could learn some Dutch or Danish, just in case you bump into Matthew van der Poel or Jonas Vingegaard. Right now, Babbel is offering an amazing offer to learn a new language or improve your English if English isn't your first language. Babbel is offering all of our listeners six months free with the purchase of a six-month subscription. You just need the promo code CYCLE24. Go to babbel.com play and use the promo code CYCLE24 to get an extra six months when you sign up for a six-month subscription. That's B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash play, promo code CYCLE24. Babbel, your guaranteed path towards speaking a new language. Now back to our real-life multilingual babbler, Daniel Freiber. Um Well, let's let's move on to the tour, um, and then after that, we'll finally get to the sort of present and future. Um, obviously, a lot was said at the tour, um, including by Stefan Ullo. Um You eventually pulled out on the Grand Colombier stage. Um, you'd had, I mean, the team had had a horrible first week, hadn't it? Um, Guarnieri had crashed; he was out of the race. Your lead-out man for years, Jasper de Boost, had crashed and had a bad wrist. I think there might have even been other mm. crashes that were other people affected. So you, your lead-out train was kind of decimated. You did it while well, you, you you did a pretty decent first sprint. Obviously, you didn't win. Um, and then I think it became more difficult and you talked about being tired as well. I mentioned you got through the Grand Colombier stage. It was a battle that day. And then the following day, you pulled out of the race and this led to what well, sort of Stefan Erlo. I mean, I think he said to me the following day that you had already been talking about abandoning the race um, in the morning. And he said um, that this had been kind of disrespectful. And he said all sorts of things to other other um, media outlets. The question is whether he still wants to ride a bike. That's the issue. Um, sort of questioning your commitment, really. Um, I don't want to sort of get too heavily back into a kind of a war of words but just say what you would like to say and what you would like people to understand about you at the Tour de France last year um well yeah like you said it started reasonably well um third place second place um so I was around the mark but yeah it got to a point where it was like I think the day after the first rest day, I was first one dropped. That was kind of like the turning point. First rest day, I was like, the next day, I don't, for whatever reason, I never actually start that good. If, if it's a hard stage after the first rest day or a rest day, then I struggle. Mm. But um, it started kind of like straight straight uphill. I was first one dropped, um, rode the whole day out the ass. Uh, uh, to get through, got through. Um, I can't remember what the, 
I think maybe the next day could have been a sprint. I can't really remember. But there was another day, again, first one dropped, spent the whole day out the arse trying to make time cut, made it. Um, and then it got to the day that I pulled out. And it was like first one dropped again. And it was just, at the end of the day, I was just, I was just fucked. So, <laughs> yeah, I can't, you know, you can't just keep riding through the Tour de France. First one dropped, having teammates wait for you every time. It's not really, mm. it's not really fair on them either. And Caleb, so in the weeks that followed, there were rumours about you possibly leaving the team. I mean, it was kind of, it was pretty obvious after it all happened, even there at the tour, from what Erlo was saying, he was sort of um, hinting that, you know, you'd reached the point of no return. There, there was, it was reported somewhere that you might even retire. Now, was there any truth in that? And, and if there was, did that re- just reflect how kind of despondent you were about the whole situation? I wake up every day to some new new shit that Stefan said and I was like you know this is just shit I hate it um and I'd have, I would have never been retired in 2024 100% not um I would have always given it one more shot uh to be honest I hoped that shot wouldn't be in Lotto uh because I don't think I wouldn't have been able to get to a good enough level in Lotto to to come back to to my best because we it was just the relationship was too broken. Mm-hmm. Um, so I knew it would never never really come back in Lotto. But if I had to stay there, I would have stayed there. I had another year on my contract, and to be honest, if I had another shitty season um, where I, you know I wasn't doing anything, then maybe it was time for me to to stop because. My my only quality as a rider is to sprint and win. And if I can't sprint and win, then I'm worthless because I can't be a lead-out man. I can't be a domestic. Mm. I'm not strong enough to do any of those. My only quality is sprint um, or to sprint and to win. Um, so, And I've always said during my whole career, when I get to the point where I can't win a race anymore, is the point that I'm going to stop because firstly, it's just not fun for me and secondly i mean most teams don't want a sprinter that sure can't win anymore so um another shitty season would have been probably the the end for me um but yeah my mentality's definitely changed since then because i've got you know a new team that believes in me and um i know deep down that i still have what it takes to, to win big races because even last year, although it was a shit season, I you know, I, it wasn't like I was miles off the winds. Mm-hmm. I was always there about. So it just, sometimes you just need something to click and, you know, you can turn a, you know, a shitty season into a good one. Um, so yeah, I hope this season's a lot better. It doesn't feel from the outside as though you're someone who's, level of kind of well your physical level or your even your motivation fluctuates that much um you know you with sprinters often you know your performances or your results might fluctuate quite significantly but that's largely because the competition is different every year and also 
you know, I guess when you come up with your race program, you don't know which other sprinters are going to be in which other race. But, you know, you look at your 2019 season, which was extraordinary. Um, but it might also have been different in terms of opposition compared to last year or four years ago. And that's going to change every year, isn't it? Yeah, for sure. And, you know, every year there's new guys that come um, come in there's new new pros every year and um and there's guys that you know step up a lot from one year to another one year they could be let's say a mediocre sprinter and the next year they can be you know fighting to be one of the best sprinters in the world so everyone develops at different times and and like you said yeah the, the competition's always different even although the you know the, the good years that i had um you know when i first started sprinting it was still kind of Kittle and, and Calvin and went through a phase whereas Garvieria, mm. um, then Grunewig and then Viviani and then Bennett's and I feel like I have been very consistent through my, my whole career um, where I'm always there but there's always seems to be like one new guy every year that's kind of challenging um, and then yeah the last two years I just I'd say I haven't been um, performing at my best, so it's hard to say. But yeah, definitely in the first few, yeah, the first let's say five or six years of my career, um, there was always kind of a, a new challenge every year, and that's like that's sprinting. You know, it's it's evolving all the time. Um, you know, last year Philipson was super dominant, but this year it could be you know Koi or yeah. Grunewagen or. You know, maybe I can come back to a really good level and, yeah. and hopefully start dominating. You never know. Um, so that I think that's the beauty of sprinting. You know, we don't get, you know, six or seven years of, of one guy dominating. It's it's changing all the time. Yeah, and as you said earlier, you also have to learn to live with the pressure and some of those guys will be experiencing that sort of white heat of pressure for the first time um, if they become the, you know, the number one kind of alpha sprinter. Um, Caleb, we'll just... Um, talk a little bit about um, Jaco. Who, who slid into whose DMs um, as far as Jaco was concerned? Um, who approached who and um, how did it, just how did it come about? I would say my manager probably definitely approached them because um, it was a bit of a, you know, he, he knew I really wasn't enjoying riding for the, those few months after the tour. And... Um, and my mindset at the time was like, I don't, you know, if I can find a new team, great. If not, I also don't really care. Like I just, you know, I've got another contract. I'll stay here, do whatever. Um, but I think he knew that he definitely had to get me out of there if I wanted my career to, you know, come back on track. And he was probably thinking a bit more clearly than I was. So I think he was obviously desperately trying to, um, get me out of there. And he said to me, like, if, if you can go to any team, like where, what team, like, would you want to go to? Like, what's the the ideal scenario? And Jayco for me was the, the ideal one because it was just back to, it wasn't like a completely different change mm. to a completely new team that's going to take a lot of adjusting mm. to. It was always going to be the smoothest transition for me if we could make it work. But I, I kind of always doubted it because I knew Dylan was going to be here. Um, 
and I didn't know if they wanted to, to have two of us. Um, but yeah, I said like if if I could go to any team, it would be it would be Jaco. And um, then yeah, I mean he was speaking to them. Um, I had a few calls with Whitey, and uh, yeah, in the end um, they decided to take me. Mm. Um, and yeah, I think they, they still saw, I guess the value in me. And, um, I think for them as well to have, a, an Australian winner in the team, um, is really beneficial because I think they, they maybe went away from that for a little while, you know, mm. for a lot of years I had like Garo and Gossi and, you know, those guys. And then a lot of our winners now, um, were from, from other countries. So, I think they they liked probably the opportunity to have another you know Australian winner back in the team. Mm. And I presume the issue of well the Tour de France came up in those conversations with with Matt with Whitey. Um, how did how did that conversation go um, roughly? To be honest, we didn't really speak about it that much. Mm. They they really it wasn't um, it wasn't a big issue for them. I think they still saw the value uh, in what I had and they could maybe see through the shit and saw Sorry. those close results. And no, not, it, not last year's Tour de France, but future Tours de France. Um, and who goes, whether it's you or Dylan? Oh, um, well, when I came to the team or when I was coming to the team, it was the discussion was for me to come to the team. I said to them, like, I'm happy for Dylan to have um first saying what he wants to do mm. so like you know if he wants to do tour then i'll do giro no problem you know if if he wants to do opening weekends i'll do buddy uae or like you know i i was happy for him to have um first choice and then um i'll just do the, the opposite program to him mm. um but yeah like i said it was uh kind of anything to get me out of the out of lotto at the time you know I, I was happy to take a, a race program that um that was kind of chosen for me instead of me choosing it yeah so i feel like this year is kind of like a rebuild year mm. like i need to build myself back to um the level i was um so yeah i'm happy with with the way that the program set out for me now and also, as regards lead-out training personnel, you've not brought anyone with you. Um, so is that a case as well of sort of taking, taking what you, you're given? And, and who, as things stand at the moment, who will that be? Yeah, this is something that my, my manager and I spoke about a lot. If I did change, do I want to take anyone with me? Um, but part of me just wanted like a complete fresh start mm. like that's what i felt like i really needed like complete break from lotto fresh start um and i knew uh, green edge also had some good guys and um the the guy that will probably be with me most of the time as last man will be campbell stewart who's um i don't know if he's i think he's in his Maybe he's done two years pro now. So he's still probably got some stuff to learn, but I prefer to work with a rider like that that's not set in his ways and that we can really like 
gel and bond together um and i can kind of teach him the way that i would like lead outs to be done um whereas if you know if you go with a guy that's really experienced they have their ways and it's hard to kind of coach them out of that into the way that you like so i'm looking forward to working with him and learning with him um we've also got max washite mm. so another big strong guy that can that can help in the lead out very big um, very big i can definitely see very, i can definitely very, see that working um him in front of you in a, in um, a lead out yeah i think the wind might come straight through <laughs> through the middle of these lakes though so <laughs> i might actually not get that much much uh windbreak but um yeah we definitely have strong guys and you know i think luca mezgets will do a lot more with um with dylan but um but yeah, you know, I'm, I'm going to work with Campbell for the first time in Tour Down Under, so I'm really looking forward to that. Um, and then some of the younger Aussies as well, like Kel O'Brien, who's um, who's super strong, and I think he can do a great job as well. Um, and also a guy like Blake Quick, who, um, you know, he will probably want to go for, more for, for sprints himself, but um, I think he can also slot into a lead-out role really well as well. Okay. So, Caleb, last couple of things. Just reel off as much as you know of your race program for us, first of all. Um, all of Australia, so Nationals Down Under, Cadell's Race, Tour of Oman, Torino, San Remo, Giro, Vuelta. Excellent. Maybe a few little ones in between, but that's, uh, that's Hungary, the main... Hungary, maybe Belgium. No. I... <laughs> I'm not racing in Belgium at all this year, okay. Um, so okay. that's, uh, I'm happy about that. And, and, okay, and last thing, how are you going to win Milan San Remo and, and, and settle this for me or um, address this um, sort of doubt that what I and other people had in my head after 2021 when you were absolutely extraordinary on the Poggio and, and you followed every wheel and you were sort of second wheel over the top of the Poggio. Um, I've always sort of thought, and a lot of people said it afterwards, that you maybe showed too much that day, that you made it very obvious that you were in incredible form and consequently you sort of scared everyone. And that was one reason why Stoven was allowed to get away. Um, is it actually, is the real reason you didn't win that race that you didn't have a teammate? And is that the, is that going to be the key? If you are able, if you are going to win Milan San Remo, that you just need that guy who is going to make sure that someone like Sturvan, whoever it may be, doesn't do what they did in 2021. I don't think that's, I don't think that is the reason why I didn't win. Um, fuck it. I think if you got it, just flaunt it. And I think it's probably, yeah, yeah why not? Listen, I mean, if people see me at the top of the Poggio, whether I attack or not, they know I'm like whether I'm there or not, or like whether I show I'm good or show I'm suffering. As long as I'm in the bunch, they're gonna know that it's gonna be hard to beat me in this. Yeah, sprint. you do. Or like a bit, a bit of bit of bit of sandbagging, a bit of sort of faux grimacing, a bit of uh, you know. Could you? Nah, it's do, good. Is, just, is that not beneficial just, in that situation? Nah, I think it's just good to to show it. Look at all. I mean, look at all the uh, the guys smashing the classics now. I mean, they're showing themselves yeah. 100k to go. I was just showing myself a little. Uh, I was just showing yeah. myself a little bit with 5k to go. So, um, no, I think I would say you know the the reason that I got to the 
the Poggio so well was because, um, you know, my team did a, a good job to get me there. Mm. Um, but yeah, of course, having it, I mean, it's obvious, having a guy over the top would have been a huge benefit. A guy that got on the front straight away when Stoyven went, so there was no hesitation. Of course, that would make a difference. Um, so yeah, I mean, for sure, it's, it's key to have a guy there, especially for a guy like me. Um, that it's so hard to do that, though, isn't it? It is. It's, it so, is, it's very hard. You know, no sprinter has really been able to do that for a number of years now, and it's always been the downfall of which. There's, inevitably, there is one or two. There are one or two sprinters in contention, but they've always lacked that that one guy. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I think you know, being in this team now is probably going to be my best shot because um, having a guy like Michael Matthews, who's always there i mean mm. he's always going to be there um you know i think if we both get over have a quick chat see who's feeling good and um yeah i think he would have no problem um helping me if if i'm i'm at the top there feeling good so um we're gonna have i think two good options this year because if it is too hard for me then it's perfect for him and if it's to, if it's so easy that well, not so easy but if it's easy enough that I'm there then usually it's not hard enough for him so I think we have you know two really good options and um, I mean your question was how am I going to win it I don't know you know it's just it, it it all depends on what the others do because I'm I'm being second twice always one guy that got away and in that scenario like there's nothing there's nothing I can do I just have to sit there and, and wait and, and risk it. If I go down the front and bring them back, then I'm going to be dead for the sprint. I'm going to get rolled in the sprint anyway. So it's one of those races that you have to be willing to lose to win. Um, and for now, it hasn't worked for me. And I'll keep trying, but um, it is, it's, a, it's a frustrating race for sure because you, know, you, you can prepare so much for it and, and really aim for it, but can all come down to you know just one one guy slips off the front and we all look at each other for mm. five seconds then all of a sudden he's gone and and that's it and race over all the preparation yeah. for nothing so um yeah i mean frustrating but if i do ever win it once i'll uh, i'll definitely appreciate it well caleb you've been incredibly generous with your time we've kept you far too long and we'll leave you to go how many kids have you got now is it three Got three um, under four years old. Leave busy, busy time. Children. One of one rare smile I saw from you last year at the Tour de France was you. I think you came to our rest day to see your family. Uh, sorry, you came to our hotel on the rest day um, to see your family last year, and I saw you smile there. Um, and hopefully there'll be more smiles for you this year. So um, wheels are in motion. Feel the rush at the Tour down the next week, and um, thank you, and have a great season. Yeah, thank you for the chat. The Cycling Podcast was created in 2013 by Richard Moore, Daniel Creed and Lionel Burnett.